I'm Katie. And I'm Steve, and this is the City of Reading Podcast. In today's episode, we are talking all things parks with Assistant Community Services Director Joey forseth Deshay. His team of parks professionals oversees the operation and maintenance of all of Reading's 52 city parks, various other city facilities, including City Hall, and nearly 24,000 street trees and street median landscaping. Much of this work happens early in the morning and out of the public eye. In fact, Joey and his team work hard to make sure that any maintenance issues that do come up are taken care of long before the public begins using the parks each day. This level of work requires certifications of all kinds. They have playground specialists, certified arborists, and chemical and pest specialists, just to name a few. It's easy to take our beautiful park spaces for granted, but if you have any experience maintaining your own landscaping around your house, you understand what a huge undertaking it is to maintain nearly 645 acres of parkland in Reading. So maybe take a walk in a park while you listen to this episode. It might give you a whole new appreciation for Reading Parks. Good morning. My name is Joey Forseth Deshay. I'm Assistant Director for Community Services for the City of Reading. With that, I assist with operations through the Community Services team. Primarily, my responsibilities are the parks and facilities maintenance throughout the city, which includes 55 facilities and 52 parks that were directly responsible for oversight. Well, thank you, Joey. We're really excited to be talking with you today because parks, I feel like, are a well-used and well-loved asset of any community, but also I don't think people spend very much time thinking about how much just maintenance and work it takes to actually maintain a nice park system in any community. So that's what I hope that we can talk about today in terms of like how much time it takes your team to just physically maintain the parks and some of the things that you oversee on a daily basis in the parks. Just to start, how many parks employees do you oversee to manage the 55 parks facilities that we have? So we have in parks alone, we have 29 full-time employees and 14 seasonal employees throughout the year. And primarily we downstaff during the winter with our seasonals due to not having the intensive mowing and the growth of our landscape. Primarily we roll back just into doing leaf collection, uh, trash and restroom cleaning during summer. It turns into chaos. We have lots of reservations. Everything is growing. So we upstaff with specific mow routes, trash routes. We run weekends during summer in order to be able to keep up with the park maintenance activities. And then for the facilities side, we have another eight staff that take care of our facilities throughout the city of Reading. Well, Joey, it sounds like with the multitude of facilities and parks, that's a big job for you and, and your crew. What does an average day look like for someone on the parks crew? Parks crew, it's it's different. We have for different job titles, different duties. So I give you a rundown of a few different jobs and what they do on a daily basis. Our gardeners, which is predominantly the, the staff that you see out there doing the landscape maintenance, the vandalism repairs, the the more intensive maintenance tied to a route within the parks division. Their days this time of year are starting out early. We get in at 5:30 a.m to start our shifts. If we get a real good heat wave, we'll even start as early as 5 a.m. to beat the heat. And they get out of the courtyard. They go out. They're going to check a select number of parks for irrigation issues. Anything that gets reported, a lot of times we'll get calls from the day before with vandalism issues that need to be repaired or items that need to be replaced. So that could be anything from valves and irrigation systems being manually turned on to just recently, we had an instance where we had 40 heads kicked off at Enterprise Park overnight. So we had 40 individual sprinkler heads that we had to replace that next day to get the water on again with this heat. So it's really 
we have a system and a plan in place for the day, but it's unknown what sort of thing is going to be thrown our way, whether it's graffiti, uh, vandalism, uh, or a special project that we have planned. A lot of times there's the weed abatement work that the staff does this time of year, especially with fire abatement season coming up. There's a lot of weeding that they try to get done early in the mornings before the fire danger is high. And then throughout the later parts of the day, they do their irrigation checks, irrigation repairs, assisting with special projects, which could be anything from right now we've been building a couple of playgrounds to installing restrooms or restroom fixtures throughout the parks division. So that, that's what a gardener does, even though they're a gardener in title, it's really a, it'd be better called a parks maintenance worker due to the fact that intensive gardening doesn't happen. And they're really a jack of all trades type position that is responsible for keeping these parks safe and clean. Uh, where we have something different would be like our tree crew, for example. We have a two-person tree crew. They come in, start at the same time, but they're responsible for all 24,000 street trees throughout our city. So 24,000 street trees, and that doesn't include our parks trees, our open space trees, and these other areas that we have tree issues. And that crew is running and gunning straight out of the gate because generally they do somewhere between a, a 1,200 tree trimmings per year on average with the two of them, with one tree truck. And we get a lot of complaints or not complaints, but calls in for service for low hanging limbs in the public right of way that are hitting school buses, blocking street signs, uh, stop signs, lights, and uh, also hitting uh, trash collection, street sweepers. So we get some tickets in from solid waste as well. Um, With that, we also have our own trees that the city is responsible for in the downtown area that need structural pruning. Uh, and just hazard mitigation at times. So that crew is always hustling and wish we had another tree crew, but the crew that we do have is awesome. They do really good work. And lastly, and I would say this is one of the most important jobs that we have in our department and where a lot of our staff starts out is our seasonal staff and our temp workers, because they're the ones who hit those trash routes on a consistent basis, what we call park patrol. And those individuals they go out each morning and they're responsible for unlocking restrooms emptying trash cans making sure these restrooms and these facilities are clean sanitized and safe for the community and if for some reason one of them can't make it in for the day it's one of the full-time gardener staff or or equivalent even a supervisor that has to go fill that role because the most important thing that we do is provide clean and safe facilities so i really hats off to all of our staff out there but the most important thing we do is keep things clean and safe. Well, Joey, I, I can only imagine I struggle just to keep my own yard alive and, and healthy. And, and I can't imagine with 52 parks, I mean, that's a huge operation. How do you manage that as far as ensuring that all the parks are getting addressed equally? And as you mentioned, when issues arise, it sounds like you adjust schedules to check those issues off quickly. How do you ensure, is it each park, they're on the schedule once a week? During the summer, you hit them more frequently and you have a database that tracks usage and, and frequency in addition to those issues. How do you manage all of that? So the way we have it broken down is the city split essentially between two working supervisors, two lead workers for the park maintenance side. And with that, they have their gardeners that are tied to specific routes um, of locations. But throughout these areas, we, we have all sorts of different checks from the gardener needing to be at each specific spot at least once per week to do their maintenance needs. And then also we have the trash patrol that happens and some of our parks get hit daily for trash. Others in our neighborhood parks that are lower usage might get hit once a week. 
but our trash route hits every park at least one time a week. We also do monthly playground inspections for all of our playground facilities. So that's the supervisors that are certified playground safety inspectors that get to these parks. So there's a lot of redundancy in the fact that you have different eyes on different park locations because the parks that have turf sites where we have them on a mow route weekly, our staff, generally a temp staff that's on the mow route will be at that park as well. So we try to not have those days really overlap. So you get more coverage between the gardener doing his duties, the trash being collected and the restrooms being cleaned by our temp staff. And then also the mow crew coming through, we get a good sense of, or a good temperature on what the park maintenance and the coverage is. I will tell you this, I always encourage the community to call in if they do see an issue though, because just because we're out there, we are running and gunning and we are busy and sometimes things get missed and I'd rather be called by somebody in the public or somebody that sees an issue and have it reported to us versus it being a long-term issue. So that's really how we go about it with our route work. But as mentioned, we get calls. I mean, our phones ring all the time from people reporting broken glass in a park to maybe some graffiti to we get calls and these are the the best ones and people just call to say, Hey, good job. I, I really appreciate the guy who came out and mowed the other day. And he found my kid's uh, baseball that he left out there and set it off to the side. Didn't mulch it up. So we, our phones are always ringing here. We're always busy, but like I said, the, the crew takes pride in that work and they really enjoy it. Wow, Joey, that sounds intense, but also like you're doing really valuable work in the community that I'm glad some people are calling in and actually saying thank you. Cause I feel like for the most part, that kind of work just goes unnoticed. Like people expect their perks to be clean and in good working order. How often does vandalism happen in the parks? Like you mentioned the 40 sprinkler heads. Is that like a abnormal occurrence or is vandalism something that you deal with quite frequently? Unfortunately, it's something that we do deal with quite frequently. As far as the 40 sprinkler heads kicked off, that goes, that seems to go in waves. Last season, it's oddly enough, we didn't have an instance like that at Enterprise Parks specifically, but we would go through waves of having things like that happen. Even when I worked back in the field in, you know, 2014, 15, I remember doing that myself and repairing those issues. So vandalism is something we always have to deal with. Our biggest goal is that we curb it to the best of our abilities and what our budget and our manpower is to where we hope that the community doesn't experience it. And I know that doesn't happen all the time by any means, but our goal is to get in early that 5 a.m., that 5.30 a.m. start time and have these areas cleaned up, repaired, fixed. So when the moms come with their kids at 8 a.m., 9 a.m. to enjoy the park, they're hopefully not seeing these things or they may not even know that they happen in some locations. And that's really where our staff takes the pride and, and sees these things and tries to be very proactive on them. Joey, what percentage of your annual budget is allocated towards vandalism or towards kind of park repairs? And are, are there things that community members can do proactively to assist in that? I know you mentioned calling those issues as soon as they're seen. Is there anything else that the community can do to, to help in that regard? Yeah. So as far as actual percentage of budget, we don't if budget as far as vandalism goes, comes out of our operations and materials budget. I haven't broken it down by exact percentage. Generally, on average, honestly, our charges are around fifty-five to sixty thousand dollars a year in vandalism charges. I could tell you it's absurd the number of locks that we buy on a monthly basis during our summer months that just get cut, damaged, vandalized. In that sense, 
the, the biggest thing about the community is report it. If you see something, by all means, call us. The quicker we can get on it, the quicker we're notified. If it happens after two o'clock on a weekday right now, majority of our staff is off because they're starting early. So if we get it reported to us, we can either bring somebody in to address that ASAP or we can come out that next morning and make sure to accommodate that when we're taken off right after our morning meetings at 5, 5.30 a.m. So the community is really our eyes and ears across the board everywhere. And that's what we appreciate. I know some people may say, oh, the call and the complaints come in. I more so look at that as you know some constructive criticism or however you want to take it. We take it in, in a manner of it's helping assist us. They're, they're the extra help out there that really help make our parks better. Okay, then I guess on that note, I frequently enjoy our parks and I and I personally have always felt really safe in our community and safe in our parks. What's your opinion of our parks just from your time being spent there? Some people feel unsafe in parks around the nation, right? It's not just Reading, it's everywhere. What's your opinion of our parks and their and your safety standards there? Honestly, my opinion of our parks are predominantly our parks are safe. There may be some locations that are unsafe or that have a bad stigma to them, but I take my children to the parks. I have an eight and a 10 year old that enjoy going out and using these locations. It's a fun place for the community to gather and go. And I know perception is tough to break in a location that maybe has been ridded with vandalism or transience. Uh, I think our best example possible would be the Nurpon open space where it was heavy transient population. Nobody used that area. We did a massive cleanup in August of this past year, got it clean, put in a new trail system. The place is amazing and everybody loves it that uses it, but you still refer hear it referred to as, oh, the transient area. And the people that have used it, and as time goes on, they will know that's not what that area is anymore, but it's breaking that perception. And I think, honestly, that our parks on a daily basis are pretty safe. The things that the city are doing to help improve safety is key with the addition of our park rangers. That's been a huge blessing to my staff and and very helpful. The park rangers started in fall of this past year, and they work throughout the week. There's four park rangers in total. They help anytime our staff has issues. They can call instantly, and the park rangers arrive to help. But also if recreation programs or the public or just we know we have a big event, those park rangers can schedule their time there to make sure and create uh, a safer environment, make people feel safer. Also, we do take and to help out, we, we do have security services with a private security firm where they do patrols along our trails. They lock and unlock our restrooms, making sure that the restrooms are, are cleared out of any sort of vagrants before they're locked up for the evening. And uh, provide just an extra level of security because, of course, RPD can't be everywhere at once. Yeah, that's truly a, our parks are a safe place and it's a good place to bring your family to. Joey, I'm curious, we, you talk about ongoing maintenance for the parks. What about with regard to parks and playgrounds that are due for a refresh or a remodel? How is it determined which which parks or playgrounds are next in line and how is that funded? And again, are there things that community members who they live in an area that has maybe a dated playground or park and would be interested in, in, in getting that refresh? What does that process look like? What factors go into, into replacing a park or a playground? That's multifaceted, of course, it's not a simple, straightforward answer because 
sometimes we get grants and that's what we've just done a bunch of, or we're currently working through a bunch of playground replacements at various locations. And we've got the, uh, it's a prop 68 grant or the per capita funding and that certain income requirements in certain neighborhoods allowed us to utilize that funding without the city having to have match. So it benefited us to replace certain playgrounds and in our small neighborhood parks primarily right now where we have a lot of, I would say older playgrounds that are due for replacement. And we have a lot of older wood structures that need to be replaced. And we have a playground replacement plan that we created back in 2013 as a revolving list and we're actually working our way through that list pretty well as mentioned with that per capita funding next in the next two and a half weeks august 1st we plan on starting the replacement of the mlk playground it's the small kid playground there it's for two to five year olds it's the tot lot but that's going to start beginning of august then we're going to be moving to creekside playground replacement beginning of September and then beginning of October, we're going to be moving to Indian Hills playground replacement. And that's what we have budgeted right now uh, with that per capita funding. But also there's other ways with some of these older playgrounds, with getting the community involved. We've done lots of community fundraisers uh, working with the locals to help and improve their parks and playgrounds. So I would say our next ones, slated that we're looking at for being replaced would be the Western Oaks Cascade Park, Bob White in our playground park system, which tends to be the more maintenance intensive and where we tend to have issues as these parks start to get in that 20 to 30 year old range. Uh, we do have some new wood playgrounds, but that would be like Salt Creek Heights. And that's a whole different level and they're brand new and amazing. Is wood just like an outdated style of a playground? But obviously, I guess not if Salt Creek Heights is still being built with wood. Is it just like the sheer usage and time of those wood playground structures that make them need needing an upgrade? Sheer usage and time is definitely something. The difference of what the wood playgrounds that we're starting to use in Salt Creek Heights would be the first one in the last two and a half decades that we've purchased is Salt Creek Heights is made with black locust. It's it's called the Robinia line of the compound structures. And that's this uh, botanical name for black locust is Robinia pseudoacacia. And what it is, is this super dense hardwood that resists decay. And actually in the East uh, Coast, they use it for fence posts, lots of other things. Historically, the other older wood structures that we've been using, and they're called Columbia Cascade is the manufacturer, use the yellow pine wood and they've held up relatively well it's just when you start to run with wood products they do have a lifespan as does the composite playground structures but i think historically in the early 90s when a lot of these neighborhood parks went into place wood playgrounds were more readily available and the industry's kind of changed actually the industry has significantly changed in the playground world to where now you see a lot more metal composite structures and we're starting to see a shift go back to natural play. And that's where Compan ran with their Robinia line, which we're starting to test out with Salt Creek. And also at our new park that we're building at Shastina Ranch, we're running a wood structure as well. Well, I'd imagine too, in, in our community with the weather we get in the summertime, the metal playgrounds could prove slightly problematic. No, they do. They can get hot. They're, I can tell you Redding's a hot place. I think, I think we all know that. And the colors play a big factor unfortunately with wood no matter what when you get a slide 
the slide is going to be either metal or composite plastic. That's just how slides are made. And really, we don't do a lot of metal slides due to the heat index with those. But also just a warning to everybody out there, check those slides before you ride them or before you put your kids on them because they can get hot. Just a little bit of direct sunlight on a even a red slide can heat up. And I definitely recommend you, you keep an eye out. And when we design our playgrounds, we actually try to take that into account and orient playgrounds where, hey, is the side or is the slide facing north or is it just getting, can we have it facing east where it's just getting morning sun and not evening when it's really truly hot in the later parts of the day sun to make it more safe essentially for people to play on. But at the end of the day, definitely recommend you check those slides for your kids. Okay. So Joey, as the resident parks expert, what is the city's largest park? So it's funny. City's largest park by acreage would be Enterprise Park and the adjacent property. But ultimately, Cobble Park, Lake Redding Campus is, is the largest improved park area. And not counting like a preserve or anything like that. And that would be Cobble Park, Lake Redding and the K2, K3 sports complex area. Interesting. Okay. And Joey, does your team do any monitoring of the usage of the parks? For example, do you track over the course of the year, you know, how much usage a park or a playground might get with, within that stretch of the community? That would be really neat to track. Unfortunately, we don't. There was one point when we installed Kids Kingdom 2. So that when we rebuilt Kids Kingdom in 2017, that we took and had to run trackers to see, just count on how many people attended the playground to play on it throughout the day. But unfortunately, since then, we haven't done that anywhere else. I, I do know we definitely have our popular parks when it comes to playgrounds and the way that the families talk about their playgrounds and how there's different groups that like to go to different playgrounds throughout the summer on different weekdays for meetings. And there's also some areas that are a little bit underutilized or even unknown, I think is the funny thing where when we do an interview, I like to ask this question of everybody, you know, is interviewing for the parks department and you ask them, Oh, how many parks do we have? And the, the numbers are all over the place from what people guess, anyway, 10 to 50. And you ask them, all right, name five or 10 parks. And everybody can generally name Caldwell Park and Enterprise Park because those are two regional parks. But after that, it falls off drastically. And most people that grew up in this area can name their neighborhood park. But it's neat when you tell people, oh, we have 52 locations. And then you start naming them off. They really are, are impressed with it. Okay, that's perfect because that goes right into my next question. I was going to ask you is what is the city's most underrated park in your opinion? Because I agree with you. I think everybody knows Enterprise and everybody knows Caldwell and then maybe their neighborhood park. But if you were going to suggest that, that the community try one park, one new park that they probably haven't been to, which park would that be? I'm torn on this one because there's a really neat little park and I don't know if as far as if the community were to visit it, it, it it's just got a good story behind it. And that would be Rolling Hills, which is over off of Oro near the Mary Lake subdivision. And it's a tiny park area. The playground has a swing set, some climbers, a water table, and then they have a basketball court. But the neatest thing about this area is it's got tons of great shade. And when this was built, it was the neighborhood all came together, wanted to add a playground to this area. The parks department put the installed the playground, um, but it was really a community build 
like they fundraised, they did a garage sale there. They had uh, movies in the park night and they gathered this money and we went to our local playground providers, which was at the time park planet and, um, universal precast out off of clear Creek road. And we talked with the owner at UPC and I remember walking through what we call their boneyard. It was like their equipment, their concrete precast structures that had been slightly damaged in shipping, maybe, or had some hairline fractures that they'd sell at discount rates. And I remember we started going through picking stuff and it was like, Oh, we only have X dollars. I won't use the dollar range, but we only have X thousand dollars. And the thought was, there's no way that's going to get us this item. And I remember talking to the owner and the owner's just like, yeah, I, we could do that. And he's like, to help you save money, I'll deliver them myself. And I thought that was the coolest thing. One of the owners of UPC coming out on the day that we installed the playgrounds and he drove the truck himself to help save us a dollar. And so I think that is probably one of the coolest hidden gems, knowing that story for a park. The other one I would have that's just a neat hidden park would be what's called Mender, which is in the Edgewood neighborhood. And that park's just hidden. It's tucked back. It ties actually into McConnell's trail system. And it's got a nice playground with good shade. Unfortunately, it doesn't have a restroom. So that's why I don't think it gets as much use. But if you need a good spot that's nice, safe, in a cul-de-sac to take your kids, that's a good park to go to as well. And that would be Minter Park. Okay, good. I'm I'm writing those down, Joey. That's good good advice. Thank you. I'm curious from your perspective, how much of an impact do parks have on a community? I mean, I think a, a good park system, in all honesty, it, it has a massive impact. It's, uh, I mean, outdoor recreation is like the cornerstone of a good community. And with what we have to offer, truly thinking about your question, Steve, like with 52 parks and 39 miles of trails, roughly with our parks being everything from playgrounds to aquatic center to the free splash pad at fantasy fountain, there's something that can appeal to everyone. And I think for a community, that's what builds community is people going outside and getting to play outside, whether it's being your kid that's two or three years old doing their first slide ride at Bob White Park, which is a little neighborhood park or their neighborhood park to my 93 year old grandma that, you know, up until she passed away, would walk the preserve every day. I, I think our parks having something for everybody and just parks in general are, are just a spot for the community to really thrive. I agree totally on that kind of in that same vein of questioning then how do Reading parks compare with other cities and in your opinion do we need more funding for our parks they're beautiful and I think your team does an amazing job of maintaining them but do you, would do you see a need for further funding for our area yeah Katie I, I totally see a need for further funding our, our council and our city management team has been doing a good job at pushing more funding towards parks and community services and, and improving our staffing shortages that we do have Unfortunately, we're not there yet. And the more resources we have, the better we can do it, the safer we can make it, the more fun we could make these areas. And I think, honestly, for Northern California and the North State, we, we do have one of the most comprehensive park systems due to our size and everything we offer. I think we do a great job with what we have and the resources we have maintaining. And like I could tell you, it really comes down to staff that just truly care about what they do for the city and the services they provide. And we joke and we say, you got to have green in your blood in order to work this job with some of the things that you come across. And it's just the truth. 
So I think, honestly, I would say I'm a little biased. I think our parks system is awesome, but I do think there's definitely room for improvement and a more funding opportunity present itself. We would definitely take advantage of it. Joey, are there any upcoming park development projects or renovations that the city is planning to undertake? Yeah. So upcoming park projects, we got those playground builds, I believe I mentioned earlier that are scheduled for August, September, and October, which include MLK, Creekside, and Indian Hills playgrounds. Um, we got those all on tap. We're also right now, we are in the preliminary construction phase for Shastina Ranch Park, which is the new large park that's going to be going in on Shastina Ranch subdivision. So that's going to be off of Shast, South Shasta View near where it ties into Airport Road. That's about a seven acre park development. So we're excited for that. It's currently on hold, but construction is due to start September 1st. And that'll take about be probably about a year build for that park location. And then we also have some renovations that are super exciting coming up with Caldwell Park and the grant that we received there. Uh, lots of improvements to Caldwell, South City renovation. We have a lot of grant fillers out. And Travis, Minnie, and Jenny have been doing an awesome job there with those grants, working to secure them for extra funding to just renovate South City, which is our city's just oldest park in our park system. And then, of course, the new Panorama Park that's been talked about quite expansively is going to go up off of Lake Boulevard and be coming in the near future. So those are big pertinent projects coming up. Joey, what is something you wish the community knew about our parks? What do you tell people when you have conversations with them? It's twofold. One is everybody's shocked at the number of parks and trails that we have. And I hear a lot of people that move to this area. They're all excited about beautiful parks, beautiful trails, outdoor opportunities. Really is that push of knowing what we have to offer. And I think our communications team does an awesome job at getting that out there. We have a Park Finder app on our city's website. But I still think there's definitely a lot of work that can be done just pushing that into the community of, of letting them know everything our awesome system has for them. And the other part, as I mentioned, is twofold, is I think people are always just shocked at the amount of effort and what it truly takes to maintain the park system. Uh, being that we talked about all the parks, we didn't mention that you know we also do the uh, our parks maintenance staff also takes care of all the street medians. In the city, all the landscape street medians, they do all the street trees. We do some open space vegetation management, and we have a crew for that, as well as the Sundial Bridge. We, we take replaced glass panels on the Sundial Bridge, and we have a contract with Turtle Bay for maintenance, but we're still tied to a portion of uh, repairs and maintenance there as well. So it's, it's a pretty dynamic group, and it's really impressive when you dive into it on everything that w- we take care of. Got it. And Joey, with regard to some of the arborists and gardeners and the rest of the the crew, what type of certifications are required for folks who are in that line of work here in the city to ensure that they're qualified for what they're doing? Yeah. So our typical gardener, like all of our full-time staff, we, we require to have a class A CDL or commercial driver's license. And that's because we're towing large trailers, heavy equipment on a consistent basis to conduct these jobs on these projects. When you move up from there in like our gardener capacities, it's required either that you've been a C27, which is a licensed landscape contractor, or you have a minimum of 13 units of horticulture. And then all of those staff also have to have their qualified applicator certificate through the Department of Pesticide Regulation for applying herbicides and pesticides. That way we're doing it safe, following the rules, the laws, and that our staff is properly trained. 
that is for the gardeners. And then for our tree worker side, we require that our tree crew, that they're arborists and there's also, let's do, sorry, they're, they're arborists through the International Society of Arboriculture, but they're also certified tree workers, which is another uh, certification that you gather to them, which requires you to pass a climbing test. And then our working supervisor arborist that's in charge of the tree truck also does uh, the tree risk assessment qualification, which is track, which is specifically an intense course, how to identify tree hazards, how to mitigate tree hazards and how to rank and file those and prioritize tree hazards and tree risk, which is very valuable for us here at the city managing such a large tree population. And then outside of that, there's a lot of other certifications our staff holds, which not every single person does, but from confined space entry, aquatic facilities, aquatic facility operators, which is an AFO certification, which deals with running the aquatic center and our fountains and the fantasy fountain, our splash pad, our certified playground safety inspectors. We have backflow or RPP testing, which tests the backflows for water quality to, pre to prevent any sort of our irrigation systems from flowing into the city's main water system and causing contamination. There's a lot of different certifications out there in all honesty. And those are the specific ones to parks outside of just the generic safety certs that somebody might do. Joey, the other area that we wanted to touch on as far as parks involvement is on the wildfire mitigation front. There's a lot happening in the city with the Red and Electric Utility and the Red and Fire Department. And I know the Parks Department as well, all working collaboratively to make sure that the wildfire elements are prepped properly and, and maintained. What type of projects or things is the Parks Department specifically involved in on those wildfire mitigation efforts? Yeah, our wildfire mitigation crew consists of seven people. We have a park superintendent, two lead workers, and four maintenance workers that coordinate and they get out and they conduct vegetation management activities in a lot of different open spaces adjacent to REU facilities and just high priority facility, public works facilities throughout the city. The first part is mastication, handwork, that veg management component, removing light flashy fuels, limbing up the trees, removing invasive species of trees. And they work on that throughout the entire year. During winter, they're doing a lot more burning. During summer, they're doing a lot more chipping. They also do some pretty neat stuff with pole wraps where we've been taking and clearing around RU assets and their power poles. And then they do a wrap that is especially coated screening for when flame impingement happens upon it. It swells the wrap and doesn't allow embers to get within the location of where the wood is wrapped to cause fires on the fire poles. So we, we do that. And the crew works on that throughout the summer. And once those wraps go on, they're good for about a decade. So we've been trying to do, originally the first year, we tried to do 200 and we exceeded that. And then now we're doing a bigger push to try to get them done faster, knowing that they last longer. So that's a really neat and innovative thing. PG&E has been doing it. RU's hopped on board with it in the last couple of years. And now we're really making a game plan to conduct that. And then, of course, everybody's favorite topic when it comes to veg management is the goats. And I would say Chris Laux has done an awesome job. He's the park superintendent over urban forestry and veg management, really pushing those goats and <laughs> pushing the goats to the next level. This year, we're doing over 200 acres or right about 200 acres of veg management with the goats. And it's one of those things. It's like economics and opportunity costs. Our six staff that do veg management can only be so many places at one time. And when it's early fire season and it's weed abatement time, they're out there hustling, 
and the goats are out there working too. And the goats take care of a 200 acres that sometimes is more difficult terrain, uh, areas that are best suited for them that we can go and conduct our work elsewhere. So the goats are exciting and they're currently working out and about right now off of Royal Oaks and scenic drive. Uh, we're looking to hopefully have everything wrapped up by the end of this month, uh, early August, as far as with the goat work. Wow, Joey, that is you and your team handle so many things in the city. Is there anything else that you want to touch on or make sure that we cover before we wrap up for the day? Some of our neat success stories that just show how important parks are to the community would include these playground builds that we do in these uh, small neighborhoods. And like I mentioned, a lot of our neighborhood parks were built in the early 90s and are due for their playgrounds to be replaced. And the way that happens when we take and initially reach out to the neighborhoods and we have on-site meetings where we bring out the community, we try to make it fun, serve up some ice cream or maybe early morning and do donuts. And we bring out three or four different designs from the local playground manufacturers. And we let the, the kids and the parents vote on these playgrounds by putting a sticker next to them. And you get these little kids that walk up and are looking at the playgrounds and going, I want to swing. I want to slide. I like that rocking horse or I like the colors here. And they normally get on board and you get a winning playground. And to take and six months later, turn around and you do that installation. And throughout the installation phase, which can sometimes take honestly a week from a small playground to we've had some take six weeks. If it's wrong time of year, grading or site work has to be done. Uh, it's actually taken six to eight weeks. You see these kids stopping by, like excited and chomping at the bit to see this new playground going in their neighborhood. And the day that we have that grand opening is so cool where you're, we do ice cream or we just have a play day for them and we announce it to see those kids out there just enjoying their parks and have the parents uh, come up to you and appreciate what you did just shows the buy-in for the, from the community and the opportunities that you give people. And that, that makes it definitely rewarding. And I know my staff enjoys that as well because that's something that makes it mean more. And another cool thing that we just recently completed this uh, spring, early summer was adding a T-ball field next to K2 ball field down there off of Quartz Hill Road. And that was a neat thing where West Reading Little League had a need and demand for more ball fields. Everybody needs more ball fields right now. And we, and we recognize that. But we took and we're working with them on their requests. And we happened to have just from the year spare fencing materials around. And I started going through it, talking with our supervisors. And I was like, hey, we have the materials we, we need to primarily build this fence. And with a small takeoff and materials list, we're like, hey, we could purchase with a small investment and be able to add a, a whole nother T-ball field. So we worked with West Reading Little League. They donated some time and we ended up installing that little T-ball field over there outside of K2. And it has been awesome. Driving through there, you see that field being used for T-ball with the little ones. It was used during the big tournaments as a warm-up field. And then also you see families just playing T-ball with wiffle balls there together in the afternoons. And we actually got an email from West Reading literally the other day talking about how appreciative they were to see that go in. And, and honestly, doing that and serving the community, it's what we're all here to do. And that's what parks, that's what the parks department does, that they enjoy serving the community and making this a better place. And it's that whole saying of we want to see people go outside and play.